0: You know when you listen to the radio and you hear someone preaching or or on like TBN or something and you think, this is too good to be true. Like this preacher is kind of like, he's kind of like emphasizing one thing and like de-emphasizing other things and it just is an incomplete message. It almost seems scandalous talking about the love of God for us. It almost seems like how could this possibly be, be true? It's too good to be true. Yet theologically, the love of God for people is, is, is a primary thing. You know, it's, it actually says that not only is love an attribute of God, something that characterizes him, it is who he is. He, God is love. So, it's a remarkable thing to think about what the motivation that God had uh, when he sent Jesus for us. It was, it was love through and through to, to that none should perish, that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. To go come to the earth and be incarnated into a baby uh, in, in very humble circumstances, all for love. That was the message. And it says in the scripture, I mean, I could, read you, I could read you scripture this whole day that talks about the love of God that motivates him to be in relationship to us. It's remarkable. It seems too good to be true, but I assure you, it's true. You know, God loves us. And even when emotionally we feel very down and we're not doing well and we feel like we are alone, even then, it doesn't change God's steady, steadfast love for us. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Um, Jesus himself, I, I'm, I'm meditating on this for myself, he had lots of negative emotions happen during his life, but, um, but he still lived in the love of the Father. He knew that that was a, a steadfast reality for him. Even, to, even uh, in the garden and before the cross, um, this idea of God's love. So last week we, we looked at uh, G- Jesus being our living hope from First Peter 1, 1 to 9, that we have assured certainty because of God's steadfast nature of what God is going to do for us, both now and for, for eternity. Uh, we, we looked at this idea of having a living hope in Christ. A living hope. Someone who knows us intimately, not only how we were created, but everything that we've ever been through understands the, the very nature of our individual brokenness and is uniquely qualified, having risen from the dead, to also raise to life our mortal bodies and, and, and raise to life things that we thought were dead within us uh, because of sin. And we have a living hope in Jesus. Everything in our life can be redeemed by Jesus because of God's great love we saw uh, that we have an unshakable inheritance in heaven. Those of us who believe in Jesus and have looked to him for salvation, there's an inheritance for us that we sang about in, in the song, It Is Well With My Soul. That is, It's protected. Uh, it's bulletproof. There's treasure in heaven for us. And not only that, as a real comfort uh, comfort on this earth, we ourselves, First Peter says, are shielded by God's power until the time when we will be made perfect face to face with God in heaven. We are shielded by God's power. And our salvation is ready. It's not cooking. It's not half-baked. Our salvation is sure. It's ready. It's been prepared for us by God. And life's suffering and difficulties that we all go through are are, are meant to prove our faith, to show our faith to be as true as gold. God uses all things, even even, uh, very unfortunate things in our lives, um, to, to refine us. He, he uses them to make us like Jesus. And none of, and, and when we encounter difficulties and suffering in our life, you know, and, and even persecution, we shouldn't be surprised, the Bible says, because in the same way, every other Christian that's ever lived, including Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, who lived a perfect life, uh, was persecuted and had trouble before us. But that trouble does not mean that God has forsaken us. Uh, God, is, God is with us. And God is using those things to refine us. I, I remember in Pastor Soper, in our Mission 119 readings, we're reading through the Bible together in two years, uh, he said that when someone who works with gold is refining the gold, they will boil it, and the impurities will come, come to the top, they'll skim them off, keep boiling, boiling, until the, the gold-smelting guy can see his reflection in that gold. And then he knows his job is done. In the same way, the Lord Jesus is refining us. If we choose to... to suffer in a redemptive way, saying, how, how does God want to use this um, to make me like Jesus? So that's the hope we talked about last week. Um, as we walk in this kind of hope and certainty about who God is and what he's done for us and what he intends to do for us yet, in a very real way, we receive the end result of our future salvation in the here and now. It's like an anchor. There's, there's an anchor of hope in Jesus that is securely in heaven with our inheritance, with God. And we are, we are pulling on a rope, attached to that anchor, pulling towards the final goal of our faith. And as we do, we see, um, we see the end result of our future salvation when we will be declared righteous when we stand before God after we die. We see that in the here and now. We see a great reversal. For in heaven there will be no suffering, no sickness, no death, no, alien, no alienation, no relational problems with God or with other people. It's all going to be set right. But in this uh, time on earth that we walk with God, uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, coming as a baby, growing up and dying for our sins, we get to experience some of the, some of the joys of heaven now in, in, this, in this life that we live in now. Um, we already talked about forgiveness this morning. That's a little bit of heaven to be able to release someone who's wronged you and to be reconciled. Uh, many people are here because God has saved you at some point in your life. I'm not, I'm not sure everyone here is, has made that decision, but um, that is something, that's a little bit of heaven on earth, that you can be sure, like the song says, when your faith is made sight and the sky is rolled back like a scroll, you stand before God, that your salvation is sure through Jesus. And you can have that assurance as you live. Um, and the anxiety of, of that can be can be gone. I mean, God, he, God is now, uh, through through what Jesus did on the cross, healing people. It says in, in our doctrine as a church, that Christ is our healer, and uh, and people are are healed, emotionally, physically. Um, God delivers people. Some of you here have been delivered from from very deep holes that you didn't think you could, you could get out of, and indeed you you couldn't have, but God delivered you. That's a little bit of heaven on earth. God reconciling ourselves to him. And God does this, not just in the future when everything is made perfect, but this life is meaningful because God is um, in this lifetime, in the here and now, working our salvation, our future, sure salvation, into the fabric of our lives, making us a citizen of a different world, the citizens of heaven, who walk by faith, not by sight. And all of this is is possible only because God sent Jesus if you really want to talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I don't know why people have so much trouble with this. I was talking to my friend. Why is it so hard to think? Three in one. Easy. No, it's not easy. It's mysterious. It's a very mysterious concept. How can there be three in one? Yet, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Three in one. It's a mystery that we hold on to. Um, and we see. So when we look at... God coming to earth um, through Jesus. You know, Jesus is called God's son, but Jesus was God. It's, it's, the, the best description of the Trinity I've ever heard is from N.T. Wright, who describes Jesus as God's second self and the Holy Spirit as God's third self. And we need to think very carefully not to separate those guys <laughs> and say, oh, God's this way, but Jesus is this way, and the Holy Spirit's that way. No, they're all God. So in, in Colossians it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when you look at Jesus, you see what God would look like if he was in human form. So um, all of this goodness that we experience today is only because God condescended, came down, and came to earth to take care of our sins for us. That God had a, a righteous law. We broke it. Pretty bad. It just got worse. We're in First Kings in our Bible readings right now. It just gets worse. Many people are saying to me, it's so interesting reading through First and Second Kings in our current political climate. I'm like, yeah, because this is the way that kings do stuff, you know? This is the way, the way of the world, is, nothing is new under the sun as far as politics and different things. I mean, there's good kings, there's bad kings. God is the ultimate king. But in a very astounding act of love, God, in order to bring the people who he loves into right relationship with himself, fulfilled his own law by becoming a curse for us. This is why I say our, our view of the Trinity isn't so good. We think, oh, Jesus was, you know, God was getting his anger out on Jesus, you know. It's almost like cosmic child abuse. No. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's a phrase that's, that's said that's offensive, you know, that you know God's taking out his anger on Jesus. But the truth is, God took out all of his righteous judgment on himself. That's love. And it says in the scriptures, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. Remarkable. For the cross of Christ, the advent of Jesus, the intention of God, it can only be described as an astounding act of self-giving love that we've never seen before and we'll never see it that, that perfectly again. It's reverberated through the halls of history. And it's such a powerful thing that it has changed, it has given hope to the past and hope to the future. The image that I felt like came to mind as I was reflecting upon what Jesus did in coming, uh, in God coming, becoming flesh. And, and if I was a cool pastor and had my faculties about me, you know, I would have gotten like an illustration and gotten the sheet. But imagine a giant sheet, you know, a long sheet stretched from one end of the sanctuary to the other. It's like a timeline of history, right? We set up like little houses and people and just all kinds of things from history all the way through to our present day. it's just stretched out, taught. The cross of Christ and what God did in sending Jesus was like taking a bowling ball and dropping it right in the middle of that timeline. Everything from the past, everything from the future, starts rolling towards Jesus. That's the only way I can think to describe it. The kingdom of God being brought to bear on our timeline, in our earth, affecting everything around it. And even the people that came before Christ, the scriptures say, were in faith looking towards a promise that God was going to fulfill in Christ. If you read the book of Hebrews, that's very instructive. But, you know, people, how were people saved before Jesus came? Through Christ. By faith. Everything has been affected by Jesus. And and, and for those of us who have yielded our lives to God, you know, especially, you know, the the kingdom of God is brought to bear. Jesus' advent and the loving act of selfless love of God coming to earth was such a huge event that really, I mean, some of you who are very young don't know this, but we used to say B.C. and A.D., before Christ, and Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. History used to be divided by Jesus's advent. So young people there in school now don't know that. They say common era and before common era. And <laughs> it's really funny because you're like, oh, you know, that seems... Um, like, it's such a strange thing. They must be, there must be some kind of prejudice there. Well, I, I, le- I was curious, so I thought I'd look up in Wikipedia about Anno Domini and why we change these things. Because Wikipedia, of course, is actually a pretty good source of information when it's something like that. Because scholars are on there like, all night long. Because we're nerds, right? Well, I'm not a scholar. So, um, the Wikipedia article on Anno Domini The quote is, the simplest reason for using before common era and common era, B, C, E, C, E, as opposed to A, D, and B, C, is to avoid reference to Christianity. (laughs) It's just like right there. And in particular, to avoid naming Christ as Lord. It's successful. Because before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, you know, it's not, not everyone believes that, so it's almost kind of like, you know, you don't want, people don't want to have to say that, kind of acknowledging Jesus if they don't believe. So we changed it for popular culture. Am I right about that? Has anyone else researched that? It's right. Yeah, we have academics in here right now that know this. I, I graduated from college in the early 2000s and my undergrad. We said B.C. and A.D. Then my graduate work, B.C.E. C.E. So in a very short period of time, it's changed. We have to always learn new stuff. <laughs> and I'm all about, you know... I don't know, I'm all about some progress, but it just seems like a silly thing to not be able to tolerate this age-old way of of marking out time. Um, But this goes to show you how powerful the event of the advent of Christ was. It split history in two. And again, it's like a bowling ball being dropped in the middle of a sheet. It says in Ephesians, everything is being summed up in Christ. So if God is a mathematician and things aren't adding up and there's injustice here and there's violence and war and, and rumors of war and also goodness and some, some good stuff here, but there's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff too. God um, is going to sum up everything in Christ, meaning the bad stuff is going to get judged by God and the righteous who are forgiven through the free gift of grace by Jesus are going to be declared righteous by God. But he's going to sum everything up. And one of the reasons heaven's going to be such a peaceful place is because everything is going to be as it should be. But that begins at the incarnation, the advent of love coming into human form, God himself, and Jesus Christ. The bowling ball that gets dropped down and disrupts all of history. So all things are being renewed by God's power, both in the past and in the present, and someday in complete and utter fullness. That will leave no one with a shred of doubt as to whether Jesus is Lord Or whether God coming in the flesh matters or not, no one's going to question that. It's just going to be like, yeah, this is it. God is love. Jesus was God's second self, God's representation in human form. God gave His life for us while we were still His enemies, to show us the truth of His love and His salvation. Because of what Christ did right in the middle of history, I mean, we were kind of hopeless on our on our own. and each of us has, has, has experienced something of the hopelessness of being apart from, from Christ in our lives. But because of Jesus coming in the flesh, um, we're given the gift of possibilities. We're given the gift of a different life than we're currently living. And each of us, no matter where we are, how far we've wandered from God, we have the choice to turn to him. And is God's nature to turn away those who come to him? It is not. He says, anyone who comes to me, I will by no means turn away. You know, God is arms wide open through the cross. We have the gift of possibility through Jesus. We have the gift of possibility up to and including resurrection from the dead, which is an ultimate kind of hope. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says that's the first fruits of everyone who believes. So in other words, you can expect to rise from the dead as well someday, Because of what Jesus did. And anything up to and including resurrection is a possibility in our lifetime. When we're encountering sickness, death, mourning, grieving, tragedy, there's always a a seed of possibility in every circumstance because God is a redeemer and Jesus came. And he has the power to do anything. That's why it says in the scriptures, as advice for Christians who are mourning, it says mourn. Thank you, because we do need to mourn. But do not mourn as those who have no hope, because there is a hope. There's always hope, because Jesus rose from the dead. God came in Christ to show us that love is more than a feeling. Someone sing it. (laughs) Christian song, yes! (laughs) I was so hoping that someone would sing it we're a professional church, like I said. Um, Jesus might have come for us because we're not a professional church. Um, (laughs) Jesus came to show us that love is more than a feeling and more than an emotion, which is how we popularly think of love. So when we don't feel it, we're like, well, on to the next one, to the next thing. (laughs) That's our human way of looking at love. But um, God showed us that love does something. True love does something. Um... I'm reading a really, really great book by Bob Goff called Love Does. And I just love him. Uh, he is a believer in Jesus Christ. And reading his books is very inspirational because of the way he lives his life. But it became a New York Times best-selling book. Great book. And I have some quotes from him about his response to the love of Jesus Christ. He says, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. Yeah, it's just a... It's just a Eugene Peterson, the late, great Eugene Peterson, expert in biblical language and culture, like, smart dude. He died just a couple months ago, and all of us nerdy Bible people had a wore black that day, because we love him. He's been a mentor of mine through his books. But he, he, uh, he did a translation of the Bible where it says, you know, the original text says, the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us, the Word being Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And he says, a good translation of that would be, God moved into our neighborhood, to be with us. And, you know, apart from just saving us, which we all need salvation through Jesus, he was just with disciples. He was with his disciples day in and day out. And he didn't leave them or forsake him even when they left and forsook him. And he restored them when they did. So he just, yeah, he gave them instruction, he gave them hard teaching, but fundamentally, he was with them. Bob Goff says, while you're figuring out what God wants you to do next, go love everybody. Because God is love. That's good. (laughs) He says, give away love like you're made of the stuff. We're rehearsing to spend eternity together. That's good stuff. This is good responses to the love that God's shown in throwing the bowling ball into the middle of history. I used to think you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. Again, God is a generous giver. And so he doesn't turn people away that come to him. When we yield our lives to him. Love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. And when God came in his second self as Jesus Christ, he was showing us what love is. He gave up his life. It says in the scripture, very rarely would someone give up their life for anybody else, though for a righteous person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Love does. God came to save his enemies. Remarkable. God wanted to make in his love a foolproof way for every person, even the even the vilest of his enemies, to have the possibility to come to him and receive forgiveness of of their sins and his love poured out into their hearts by his Holy Spirit. So love, God came to show us love is not feeling, love is not an emotion, love does, and God did and tells us to do likewise. God is the God of self-giving love. He didn't just sit in the heavenly realms, upset with how things were going down here, but God himself came and took care of business so that we could be connected to him and share his love with the world. Jesus was and is God's final and perfect message of love to humanity. It says in Hebrews 1, in the past God spoke in many different ways to our ancestors, and prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, Drop the mic. Mic drop. After providing purification for sins, he went and sat down. Boom. This is not hard. This is remarkable stuff. God's doing of love for us. Coming as Jesus was God's final and definitive message to humanity about his nature and how he feels feels towards us and what he wants from us. But we must say yes to him. We must yield our lives to the one who sent his son who came himself to provide purification for our sins. We have to yield. Because guess what else love does? How about this? What does love not do? Any, what's that? Keep a, record of Keep a record of wrongs? That's right. Doesn't coerce people. Doesn't manipulate people. God is not codependent. He doesn't need someone, slavish beings to give him glory because for fear of punishment he needs children. He wants to adopt children into his family. And he has enough love to give because he's God. And God is love. Love does not control. Love does not coerce. If married couples knew that, they wouldn't have to go to marriage counseling so much. We can't control this person in our house who's always wrong while we're always right. (laughs) We can't control that person, but we can love them. We can be with them. And that's what Jesus did for us. We have to say yes to God. That's our part. Because God's not going to say yes for us. Uh, we have to yield to the Lord in this. I'm going to end with 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 7-21. This is one of those sermons that worked its way backwards. Just so you know, I usually start with Scripture, but now I'm ending with it. This is what, uh, a, sum, a summation of all we've talked about. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Love does. God did. Love does everything except for force people and coerce people and manipulate people. Um, That's something else altogether. But God is love. But... The only way to really come to him is to yield to him, to say yes. Yes, I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Yes, I recognize I'm in the need of a savior and that you have come to earth for that very purpose. Yes, I want to live in your love and love others the way that you have loved me. Yes, I want to love even my enemies and pray for those who persecute me because the love I have from you, is so great. For if we cannot love the people God's placed in our lives, who we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? But this morning, it's all about our yes. Just opening ourselves up to the gift of possibility that's been given to us through the bowling ball that's been dropped on the sheet of time. A gift of a different future. Different relationships. A different outcome. All offered. All offered. Jesus Christ and the Bible says when we yield to him that we are metamorphosized we are made new creations in Christ and the the word comes from when a caterpillar who looks nothing like a butterfly becomes a chrysalis and emerges a butterfly It's it's like a miracle we become a new creation in Christ beloved and full of love to give to others we love because he first loved us this morning. It's about your yes. This song, an old hymn, updated a little bit. Jesus paid it all. And I love it because the first part of it I want you to notice is, is a quote. Um, someone summing up the teaching of scripture. It says, and I hear the Savior say, strength indeed is small child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. That's the invitation this morning.